Uh, if you have your Bible, I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll be looking today at verses 1 through 5. And, um, and as you turn there, uh, a little bit about me. Um, he told you some about me, not all. Uh, one thing I'll tell you is be prepared now because you never know uh, where God will call you. Uh, I was content to pastor. Uh, I pastored in Starkville, Mississippi uh, for almost 18 years, and I thought that's where I would spend my entire ministry. My wife and I had just bought a piece of property and uh, had just started working with an architect to design our house. And isn't it like God uh, in the middle of all your comfort to say, uh, I've got something else I want you to do? When Dr. Mike Spradlin drove down to Starkville from Memphis, it's about a three-hour drive to come to the church where I pastored and meet with me, I knew it was pretty serious. I mean, they, guys don't normally drive three hours just to have a cup of coffee and go home. He presented me an opportunity. I patted him on the back. We prayed about it. He left, and I laughed while he drove out. I said, there's no way I'm going to Memphis, Tennessee uh, to be a dean. I've never seen myself as a dean. I mean, I don't. I don't think I fit the mold of a dean. Do I have a doctorate? Yes, because I work real hard, not because I'm smart. Um, and when I finished school, I told him at graduation, I'll never be back to take another class. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what my CEUs will be, but it won't be me coming to further enrich myself in class. But now here I am, and I thank God for it. My wife and my five children send you guys greetings. Uh, the hardest thing I've done over the last two days is watch my nine-year-old son break down and cry uh, Sunday night when I got ready to leave. Uh, I think some of that was selfish because he has two soccer games, and I won't get to make either one of them this week. Uh, and he, I think, is a budding star in soccer. So why am I here? Why did I make um, a 1,200-mile drive? to share with you something I'm passionate about, and that's the gospel. When you read with me in a minute, you're going to hear from a guy named Paul who was also very passionate about the gospel. And why do you and I need to be concerned at all about this gospel? Because if this message doesn't go forth, people don't know Jesus. If this message is twisted, then folks don't know the truth of Jesus. Uh, there's an article I printed off before I left home that's in my bag in my trunk, and I read it the other day. A friend sent it to me, and it had the sentiment in it of, can, can black evangelicals save the church? And the last line of the article is what got me on the back end, the last paragraph. There's a lady that they had interviewed, and she basically made this statement. I'll paraphrase it. She says, well, if, if evangelicalism must die for the church to live, I'm fine with that. And I underlined that, and out beside it, I wrote out, I said, I wonder, does she actually know what evangelicalism is? Because I'm of the opinion that if you kill evangelicalism, you have no church. Because evangelicalism clings to the Bible as God's word. It says this is enough. This is all we have. And if we don't have this, how do we know what we actually have? And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. And what I want to share today basically is this. I want to talk to us about making our boast in the gospel. Because it doesn't matter where we come from, who we are, what we have, what we know. When it's all said and done, the only person who's going to matter is the Lord Jesus Christ and what we've had to say about him. And so in this text, listen to what Paul writes. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, 
declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank God for his word. This idea of us making our boast in the gospel. It's why I'm glad to be here because this school is founded on gospel principle, on taking the word of God and showing how it serves as the foundation for everything that we should do and pursue in life. The school that I come from, Mid-America, we champion three basic things, the Bible, missions, and evangelism. And I'm grateful to be here representing them, to be here among you, because we have that in common, the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm a southern boy, born and raised in the great state of Mississippi. That's all I have known. I, I, I traveled outside of my state a little while. I lived in Alabama, which is our cousin state. Um, and I played football there at a school called Sanford University. Stayed there for a year, came back to Mississippi. Have spent most of my life in that context, but I will tell you this. There's something very similar in Mississippi that I see in Vermont. And it's lostness. The difference is this. Where you are, it's pretty easy to see the darkness. Where I am, it's different because we have what I call a cultural version of Christianity. Not biblical, but cultural. So you don't have that here. You don't have to weed through that here. But everything in the South has Christian affixed to it. But it may not be Christian at all. And so as we talk here, getting back to our specific text, when you look at this writing of Paul here, what is Paul trying to do? Well, in this particular book of the Bible, you see it fascinates me because it shows the challenges that we face as believers who try to navigate this world as we draw closer to the Lord because there's always this pull from the world to come back. Things that you got saved from don't disappear. And the Corinthian believers are fighting hard because that world that God saved them from is calling back to them and wants them back. And you see, it's a church with trouble. You can't get out of the first chapter before you see how divided they are. They've got their favorite preachers. Some like to hear Paul and some like to hear Apollos. Others like to hear Peter. And then there's the super spiritual crowd that will be led only by Jesus. And Paul ends chapter 1 talking about the gospel and talking about how the Lord uses something as foolish as the preaching of the gospel to save people. And then Paul comes in chapter 2 and says, in fact, when I came to you, all I came to you desiring to know was Christ and him crucified. Because see, Paul understood if people are going to be helped, they must hear the gospel. Now, I want to warn you, and I saw the, the, the mission project you guys have here, the 251. It's never your job to win anyone. It's your job to tell them. It's our job to share Christ. We cannot save anybody. But in our sharing, make sure we're sharing what is biblical. And so Paul here is responding to them and reminding them it's not about the preacher. It's not about the mouthpiece. It's about the message. And some things I want to share with you about this message. Why is this significant to you and I? Because when you read, I see something very similar happening in our world. We're so personality driven that quite often we fall in love with who's saying it. And we don't examine what they're saying. And everything, my brother and sister, that sounds good is not good and sound. 
and it must be evaluated based on what the Word of God says. That's the standard. That's the test. It's not who's saying it, what are they saying. And so Paul tells these believers, I, I came not with pretty speech and human wisdom declaring the testimony of God, but I made up my mind. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He goes on to say, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Just two basic points. I'll be a bad Baptist today, okay? But two basic points I want to share with you today. First of all, we must understand our proclamation must be clearly built on the gospel. If we're going to say anything of any substance, it must be built on the right foundation, that is the gospel. And secondly, we need to determine that our practices should certainly be reflective of the gospel. So in basic, we're going to talk about what we say and what we do and how both of those things need to be built on the word of God. Because quite often I see this trend in many churches where in our part of the world, people will, they, they have a right appearance and sometimes they say the right stuff with their mouth. But their life doesn't bear out the same thing they say. And Paul's actually going to take five verses and hit both of those things. And first of all, if you go back with me into verse one, when he says to us, that he came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. In the Greco-Roman world, there was a love for rhetoric, a love for the ability to get up and be very uh, pretty with your words. We call it eloquence. And they would love to hear people talk. It didn't matter what the substance was as long as they could entice and draw you in. If they were good communicators, it makes no difference if you're a good communicator if what you're communicating is not good. And so he says, I made it a point not to have a worldly message. There's little things we can do with the Bible and make it less offensive. Like when Jesus says stuff like, I'm the way, the truth, the life, that gets you in trouble. Because it sounds exclusive. Because it is. And it's not that way because I said it. And it's not that way because you may want it that way. It's that way because the Lord himself said this is how it must be. He's not one among many. As Paul would have to jump on the people at Mars Hill, it's not about the, the buffet line of God's and you pick yours and, and all is well at the end. No, he says he's it. But if you want the world to come to you and love you, just take that edge off and maybe move that definite article the. And use something indefinite like A, and all you've done is just twist the truth. And the world comes and listens to that, but they leave empty because there's no substance there. And so Paul says, we don't have a worldly message. I watch so much of what's going on in our current climate, our current world, and you can have your own position on issues. I just encourage you, make sure whatever position you have, it's biblical. See, I'm navigating a world now where I'm trying to raise five children, four boys and one girl in a world that seems to be very much racially divided. And I have a 13-year-old son who, I mean, he's, he's pretty smart. He's pretty slick and he can watch the news and he's hearing stuff that has a certain bent and a certain perspective and he's drinking it in. And I always come behind and just ask questions. Because he, you know, because of course what he's hearing on the news is objective. 
Now, I'm the kind of preacher you can talk back to me. You won't throw me off. You know, there's no angle, is it? They're not trying to push a certain narrative, are they? And so he hears this and he spouts stuff he's heard. And I said, wait a minute, Trey, think about what you just said. Think about what you said versus what you don't know, because the Bible says clearly judge nothing before the time. I'm trying to show you this whole biblical thing. Well, we have to measure what we say and do by his word. And so our message is not worldly. When people come to Christ, everything in your life may not be better. I know we say that. Spiritually, absolutely, because you just came from death to life. But coming to Christ may cost you all your friends. Coming to Christ may cost you that closeness with your family. I have a sister now that we talk sporadically. We used to talk almost every day. Because as I have grown closer to Jesus Christ, and I want to live my life in a way that pleases him, our lives have done this. But we have to remember our message is not worldly, and it won't be something the world wants to hear, but they need to hear it. And so he says, I didn't come with these enticing words. I didn't come with excellent speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 2, he says, because I determined... Not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, let me be very clear. Paul was not saying I came to you in ignorance. Paul was a very well-educated man. So what does Paul mean when he says I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Here's the idea. No matter how much we know, all of our other knowledge is secondary to knowing who Christ is. This is what the writer of Proverbs would say when he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter if a person has a doctorate degree in whatever field. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they do not have the most fundamental building block of knowledge. He did say the truth. And I do have this specific opinion about our current day education is why I'm glad you're here. Because there was a day and time when education was meant to push people to truth. It was a pursuit of truth. Now it's only a pursuit of worthless information. Because, see, to pursue truth, there's an end goal. And the end of all truth lands at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so now education is not about finding what's true. It's about gathering up information and spinning it to articulate my point. But Paul said, I didn't come with that because we don't have a worldly message and we do not employ worldly methods. Now, I, I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but I'm a pretty passionate guy. If I'm in it, I'm in it, whatever it is. When I was in the world, I was in it. The Lord changed me. I'm in this. I would often tell people um, that they grew up with me. There, there was no doubt when I was lost that I was lost. There wasn't going to be any question marks over my head when I died. Wherever I was going, I was going, and you knew it. But now having come to Christ, I don't need the world's methods. As much as I love emotion, I'm not about emotionalism. Our world is built on a, an axiom now where you can take things that aren't true, and if you can just make people feel, we run behind what we feel. But that doesn't help us in the end game. So Paul says, my job was not to be like your great orators and make you feel my speech. My job was to convey what's true. And as you live your life, as you go about serving the Lord, 
Don't ever forget it's about helping people see what's true, maybe not what they like. And that's hard because I don't think there's a person alive that gets up every day wanting to be disliked, wanting to be disbelieved, wanting to be hated. I had a long conversation on my way up here with one of my students who is pastoring in a, a rural area in Tennessee who's an African-American guy, and he was talking about how he's getting hammered on all sides from these different people because he's not buying into some of the narrative being spun up in media and particularly social media. And he said, man, what do I do? I said, I want you to remember that your identity is resting in who Christ is. Your identity is not in who you are because of the color of your skin or what part of the world you came from. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ if you're a Christian. And so when you get uncomfortable in this world because the world's pressing in on you, remember, this is not home for you. You belong to Christ. So Paul says to us, our proclamation must be clearly built upon the gospel. We don't employ worldly messages or worldly methods. But the second thing Paul talks about is our practices. They should certainly reflect the gospel. Notice what he says to us in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. Now, what is Paul talking about? Why does Paul take on this attitude? Let's talk for a moment about our attitude toward the gospel. And what Paul was saying, I don't think at all, is that he was afraid of the Corinthians. It's not the idea that you intimidated me. It's not the idea that, that, that I was unsure, uncertain of myself. You see, what Paul has here, though, is what I think is a truly eternal perspective on ministry, and on life, and on how he handled the word. Now, a little bit more about me. My favorite book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Let me tell you why. Because Malachi teaches us the danger of counting holy things common. Whether or not you know all the history behind Malachi, here's how long they had been in the temple. They had been in the temple long enough to get comfortable doing sacrifices. And for sacrifices to become commonplace. And it just to become another burden of their day and their daily routine. And they started loathing it. Listen, in this environment where you're surrounded by biblical principle, be careful and guard yourself against counting God's word as something common. And being flippant about it. Just because you have a Bible in hand doesn't mean your attitude toward that word is right. So what does Paul mean when he says that when I came, I came with in weakness and fear and much trembling? I believe Paul understood that every day of his life and everything that he did, it had eternal value to it. And he was either going to maximize the opportunity or he was going to squander the opportunity. And that gave him a sense of Fear and trembling. Because, Lord, what I want to do is make sure I honor you with what you've given me. See, when I stand to preach, it's not whether or not I fail before you. It's not whether or not you like what I say when I preach. It's whether or not I have rightly said what's in the text. And I bring glory to the Lord. Because my desire, my attitude should be that I always stand in awe of the God for whom I preach. And the God that I serve. Years ago, a friend of mine was killed in an accident. His dad is a pastor, and he mentored me for years. And this particular friend of mine, I was at his funeral, 
And I started preaching when I was 17 years old. And there was an older preacher there at the funeral. He, he said, hey, boy, how's it going? And I told him, I said, man, things are well, but I have this one issue. I said, man, every time I get up to preach, I said, right before I stand to preach, I get so nervous. I said, man, my stomach is in knots. And he looked at me and he said, that's good. He said, my daddy told me those are holy butterflies. He said, and the first time you get up to preach and you don't have those, he said, do yourself and the people a favor and sit down. And it just clicked. It made sense. The weight of what I'm doing ought to keep me in a place where I have some trembling because I'm doing what I do in the name of a holy and righteous God. But I want you to hear me. Preaching is not the only thing done unto a holy God. Wherever you work, whatever your job is, God opened that door for you. And that job ought to be carried out and done with a sense of trembling as unto a holy God. This is why Paul would say something like this to another church. Um, do what you do, not as I serve as unto men, but as unto the Lord. It's why in my office every morning, me and my assistant meet and we pray. And every time I lead the prayer, I close the same way. Lord, help us today that we would serve as unto you. And not unto man. Because so often we get into this routine and Paul says, no, no, no. Make sure your attitude about it is right. All those classes and the homework you don't like. But I know all your classes here are great. And you look forward to every class you're in. Because none of it is just mundane and routine. But think about it as unto the Lord. He talks about attitude. We talk about what we practice. Our practice is certainly being reflective of the gospel. It has to be done with an attitude that's right toward the gospel. But also this, everything that we teach people, we ought to teach them to be anchored in the Christ of the gospel. Watch what he says as you keep going in 4 and 5. He said, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, my goal was not to woo you and wow you. It was to point you to Jesus. You ever noticed, I mean, I did a lot of driving the last couple of days. And you ever taken a look at a road sign? I mean, it's not really anything immaculate. It's not like glittery and, you know, rhinestones and sequins. I mean, it's just kind of plain. No matter what sign, whether it's yellow for caution or green for information, it's just kind of plain. Block-style letters, there's nothing attractive about the sign. The sign has a very basic function. It's to convey something. I, I saw quite a few of these, you know, 100 and something miles to this city or 200 and something miles to this city. And a lot of times I'd wonder, did they move the city? I mean, I didn't think that was that far when I left. But I want you to think about this. Say there's a, a sign that says, Welcome to Bennington. And it's so immaculate. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful sign. Would it not be sad if the sign was actually more attractive than the place? I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. 
in your preaching and in your sharing Christ and your going out and witnessing and the things you do, here's why it's not about us. Because we're just the sign. What's attractive is where they're going and who they should be trusting. They shouldn't be trusting in me. So it's not my job to dress me up. They shouldn't be putting their hope in me, so it's not my job to dress myself up. I can't save them, so it's not my job to dress myself up. All that I should be doing should be to point to him, to, to, to have people looking toward him. Paul says, that's why I didn't come and try to impress you with me, because I want your faith to be anchored in him, that it should stand in the wisdom, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Please don't get so important in whatever ministry role you play that you forget it's really about Jesus. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. And as easy as that is to say, there are times it becomes very hard to live. I'm going to close on this story today that comes from my life. And it comes from about a year and a half ago when I started getting this pulling in my heart after hearing the information from Dr. Spradlin about coming to Memphis. Been in Starkville for 17 and a half years and had a chance to really pastor a church that was growing and starting to flourish. And a couple of years before Dr. Spradlin came to see me, the Lord had burdened my heart with something. As I prayed, he told me, he said, you're, you're comfortable and they're looking to you for too much. Tell them they're looking to the wrong person. And I started sharing that with the congregation. Over that 17 years, we grew from about 75 people, maybe 100, to about 700 people. And it was a great time. We had just been blessed. I mean, and we're in a very rural area of Mississippi, and yes, there are a few places that aren't really rural, but they're not really city. They're somewhere in between. But I was in a very rural place. There, was, there wasn't a store within four miles of the church where I pastored, like a convenience store, a gas station. And people would drive from the university out to our church, but they started making too much of me. I noticed like on all of our flyers and stuff, they wanted to put my face and they wanted to put me on websites. And I was like, we, whoa, whoa, I can't help you. And so anyway, I started praying this over, the, over like a two-year period. Then Mike Spradlin shows up with a job offer. And I'm like, mm, no. Nah. I'll pass. And so I start praying through this, and over time, the Lord softens my heart to where I start to see I'm, this is going to happen. And I don't know about you, but I need grace for dummies. You know what grace, grace for dummies is, Lord, make it really clear. I mean, I really want to do what you want me to do, but I don't, I don't want to do it if it's not you. And a friend of mine gave me a prayer to pray, and don't unleash this if you don't mean it. This is what he says. He said, you, 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 you ask God this. He says, you, you, here's, here's the prayer. Lord, show me your will and make it so clear that for me to miss it would mean I'd have to sin against you. And so I had been praying for a while, but not that prayer. You know, I wasn't quite ready to jump that far in the pool yet. You know, Lord, I kind of want to know what you want me to do, but I don't know if I want to know it that bad now. <laughs> and, and so... About two months into praying about should I really consider taking this, this, this position, I finally just kind of, I guess, got the unction to, to pray this prayer. And when you shared a little bit of your story, I didn't share mine yet because I didn't want to give away my sermon. I want to tell them and you. 
And this is how it happened for me. On Wednesdays in our church, we would have senior adult prayer and Bible study. And I always sat kind of in the same place every Wednesday. And I've got my head down. I'm in my little corner as we're going through our prayer group with our senior adults. And I'm praying off by myself. And not in audible voice. I've never heard God speak out loud to me. But I have had him make impressions on my heart and push me. But this is what I heard. If you don't leave, I'll take my hand off you and this church. And I just started to weep. I started crying. Because to use my lingo at that moment, it got real. See, I knew then there, there, there's no middle ground here. This is it. This got to happen. And all the pieces weren't quite in place yet. And I went back home and told my wife, I said, we've been praying about this. I said, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how, but I'm telling you, we're not staying in Starkville. I can't control what's going on in Memphis. I don't know their timetable, but get ready because we're leaving Starkville. I found out today. And it took months for this whole thing to play out. And God made good on it. And when I got ready to leave, I had to remind the people, I'm getting back to this now. See, I told you for almost two years, you were making way too much out of me. I said, but now time's going to tell how fruitful the ministry was that I had while I was here. Because you won't know the impact you've had until you're gone. I said, now that I'm leaving, I'm gonna, you're going to find out now who was coming for Christ and who was coming for that big head preacher. I said, you'll find out now who was coming because they love the Lord and who came because they just liked to hear the way he said it. You know what's heartbreaking? That church that went from 75, 100 folks like to 700 people today and COVID considered, when they meet, there may be 20 people in the church. And it's not even 24 months ago. So what happened? They didn't heed this warning. You're not to be anchored in the preacher. You're to be anchored in Jesus. Because all those other things can change, but he doesn't. And so if we're going to boast in anything, let's make our boast in him and in his gospel. You have a great opportunity to reach a world that is so dark. But use your life to be that candle that'll light a candle, that'll light a candle, that'll poke holes in the darkness. Because that's what light does. It pokes holes in the darkness. And you may never be known like Paul, but the Lord knows your name. So soldier, be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. The Lord, if we're going to boast in anything, let it be in your gospel. If we're going to boast in anyone, let it be in you. Because Jesus, you came and you did what no other person could do. You paid the price. For my sins, for the sins of the world. You say in your word, O oh God, that you love the world to such a degree that you gave your only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I pray you help us take that message into the hills and the hollows, the hedges and the highways, to tell the lost world that Jesus still saves. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Northeastern Baptist College. Bless this ground, this holy ground. Bless these students to always see the eternal perspective of what they're doing from every class to every assignment. The Lord is about you. Thank you so much. Bless the staff and the faculty. Bless this president. Lord, continue pouring your peace, provision, protection over them. This is my prayer. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.